This is a this is a very good two verses. And I hope this speaks to your heart because it's just so important. The, the title of the sermon today is A Little While. It comes right from the text. I'm, I'm not inventing a sermon title. It's lifted uh, right from the beginning after you have suffered a little while. We're going to focus on that this morning and what that means and the implications for us as believers. And I think it's huge. And I think we could learn a lot here. We have to stay closely to the text, and we have to look at what the text says to us. And I do think, I, I just think you'll get, you'll get encouragement. But before we do that, let's get a little context. First of all, we've been talking about pastors, shepherd, the flock of God, verses 1 through 4. And basically, the pastor is the overseer or shepherd of the flock. He's supposed to do that with a good attitude. He's supposed to do it lovingly. And also, if you look at Hebrews chapter 13, you'll find that the congregation is supposed to uh, obey the leaders, whether it's deacons, pastors, uh, so that it would go well with the church and that pastors don't get discouraged. So there's always that, there's always that dimension when we talk about the, the pastors shepherding the flock of God. Now, I want you to see how this is connected because I'm getting ready to show where the attacks will come from and why this is so important in the life of any church. Secondly, is the flock works together in community. Let me, let me go back and just read this uh, rather quickly. Uh, Likewise, you who are younger, clothe yourself with all humility towards one another for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And, and those of you that missed that sermon, coming under the mighty hand of God is a way of saying, I trust God with everything. Now watch this. And then in verse 7, he says, casting, and that word casting means throwing up all of your anxieties on the hand of God. Now we get into this issue. So you have pastors are to pastor the flock of God, right attitude, godly attitude, uh, focusing on the things of God, leading the church. And the second is that the people of God are to work together in community. One pastor rightfully said one time, whenever there are two or three gathered in his name, there will be problems also. But this is crucial. Number three, the church of God stands firm against Satan. And this is where we went last week. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Verse nine, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers, the brotherhood throughout the world. So, if you look at this, you see a logical flow here. A very logical flow. Peter's not just throwing this out willy-nilly. He, he has a plan. So here you have, and I know I just got hid behind the PowerPoint. Sorry about that, Brian. Uh, pastors shepherd the flock. The flock works together, and Satan will attack both of these. 
Satan doesn't primarily target the unsaved because the unsaved are already in his plan. So what happens is Satan will attack the pastor, maybe uh, arrogance, uh, uh, lack of compassion, doctrine. When, when, a, when a pastor starts preaching erroneous doctrines, Satan wants that. He wants that kind of dialogue between himself and the pastor. He'll also attack the flock. He'll pit Christians against one another. He will pit Christians against one another so that the church does not function properly. And we have to be constantly alert to Satan's activity. Now, all of this leads us to where we are today in this text. And the next Sunday, uh, I'll get into uh, the, the Christmas specials that I have coming up. So if we look at this, in verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, that's big, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be dominion. I love that word. We'll talk about it forever and ever. This is what I want you to realize today. And, and I know everybody in this room, myself included, have suffered at times. You may be going suffering right now. You may be going through suffering right now. You may be going through hardships right now. And those of you that are watching by Facebook and whatever media outlets we have out there, you may be suffering right now. Maybe it's a physical suffering. Maybe it's emotional suffering. Maybe it's uh, a spiritual suffering. Whatever the suffering is, all of us suffer. Do you agree with that? Every one of us. You can't go through Christian life without experiencing some type of suffering. Maybe you tell a friend about Jesus Christ. That friend reacts wrong. They get back on you. That's suffering. But the point is, all of us go through suffering in our lives. If, if you think, I, I thought when I first got saved, I thought, wow, now that I accepted Christ, things are going to be great, until I started telling the friends that I went hanging out at the bar with, that I trusted in Christ. And then things got different. And I got hammered when I was in the army. They called me Father. Doing the cross. So I thought that when you trusted in Christ. Things would get better. No. Peter said last week. Your, brothers, your brotherhood is suffering throughout the world. So this is what I want you to mark down today. I want you to get this in your heart. I want you to underline it in your Bible. Somebody said, well, I years ago said, Pastor, you can't underline the Bible. That changes the Bible. And I just looked at them like, I don't know what to say about that. Not changing the Bible. You're just underlining stuff. But anyway, we have eternal hope. Mark that down. We have eternal hope. Satan attacks the believing community. Churches throughout America are littered with Satan's activities. And the, the church is in trouble. I was once called a dinosaur for preaching expository sermons. That that doesn't work in today's culture. Uh, you know, 
Charles Stanley gave a great illustration of this. Charles Stanley told his congregation one Sunday morning, he says, you know, the Bible says there is no God. And you could imagine the congregation going, what is he talking about? But Charles Stanley said, if you look at the verse before that verse that Charles Stanley was using, it says, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. The problem with contemporary preaching today is that it doesn't fit the context. You can lift verses and make them say what, they, what you want them to say rather than going by a chapter, rather than going verse by verse and unfolding, telling the context. And Satan uses that. He does. He, he uses it. I like Peter David's here. When, when Peter writes this, um, and after you had suffered a little while, let's look at that phrase. Uh, Peter David's, he, he, he writes this, our author goes on to indicate that the, the general God of their army, us, has not abandoned his troops and that the battle itself is temporary. I like that image because uh, some of the terms here are military, but I, I like that image. I, I'm going to put this up here. Maybe some will disagree with this. That's all right. This is General Patton. General Patton was unique, <laughs> to say the least. General Patton, I believe, I don't have any proof of this, but I believe God put him in that position to take care of the Nazi regime. He was bombastic. He was crazy at times. He did some things that were seemed ridiculous but he led the US army to defeat Hitler and take out the Nazi regime I like the image of this battle honestly I think he's the best general we've ever had and it's ironic of all the battles that Patton was in all the battles he didn't sit back in a in a command center he was out with his troops he loved the average troop all the battles that he was in nothing happened to him two or three weeks after the war general Patton was killed when his Jeep overturned I like this image here after you have suffered a little while one of the temptations and this word Pasco, this means to experience pain. One of the temptations is to believe that God has abandoned you in your suffering. One of the first tools that Satan pulls out and he goes, you know what? God sees your suffering. He doesn't care. Therefore, you can't trust God. We got to remember that God is the general of our army. And like so many dissimilarities between God and Pat, and that should be obvious. But the point is, God does not abandon his people. King David dealt with this as well. God, why have you allowed my enemies to prosper? God, why have you allowed this? Why have you allowed that? And in those moments, I think David's really questioning, God, where are you? Well, I can tell you this. God has never abandoned his people. He will not abandon you. That is our eternal hope. 
That is the fact that God is in control of our lives and this suffering that we endure here is fleeting. Now I know, going through it, <laughs> going through suffering, oh Lord, when is this going to end? And God, are you really there? Do you really care? Well, the God of all grace, he will write in just a few minutes. A little while, oligos, the Greek word there, oligos. And that means a short period of time. Not long, and I'm just reading from the Greek, not long in comparison to eternity. And I get it. I totally get it. There have been times in my life when I go, God, where are you? Have you all ever been there? And see, one of Satan's little subtle attacks is for you to believe that God has gotten up from the couch and he's gone to the refrigerator and he has abandoned you. And Satan just pushes and pushes. That's not, that's not true. Now, I, I can't say why you're going through suffering. I don't have any insight into your life, mostly unless what you share with me, and then I don't share that with anybody in the congregation. But when you are in suffering, I want you to mark this down. God does not abandon his troops. God knows the suffering that you're going through and he will not abandon you. And after you have suffered a little while, I'll say this too. One of the illustrations, I got it this awesome, but um, you do realize the, the, the Christian life can be boiled down into three different Categories. If you want to do it this way, that's fine. Help you remember it. You are either going into a trial, or you're in a trial, or you're coming out of the trial. So you're either entering a trial, you're either in a trial. And by the way, if you read First uh, Peter, you'll find out that the trials come because he's testing your faith. It's a really good book. First Peter's all about suffering. So if you, yeah, I mean, it really is. It really is a good book. You go back and read it because they were suffering. We all like to be on that third category coming out of a trial. Praise God. I heard a pastor once say, all sun and no rain makes a desert. That's a good analogy. If you always want to bask in the sunshine and there's never any rain in your life, how can you possibly grow and get stronger in your faith? You can't. Because there's nothing... Uh, iron sharpens iron. Secondly, grace. You see, suffering and grace are put right next to each other. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace... Amen, right? The God of all grace. Amen. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. God, Theos. You say, Pastor, why do you go through each little word? Because each little word means something in the text. 
You can't just pass it by when it's so good. And this, we've seen this word before. Theos means the creator and sustainer of the universe. <laughs> I love this picture. God created the world. Would you agree with that? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you go through and you read the Genesis account. You see that God created us, created us in his image. Chapter 3, man fell. Then you got problems. But here, God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. So if God is the creator and sustainer of the universe, then the little while God knows about, he sees that because he created everything. The God of Horus, grace, listen to this. The God of all grace, and that word all can refer to many different things. But the God of all grace, Horus, undeserved, unmerited favor shines on you. So when we're tempted to say, God, I don't know where you are in this. Just remember, and brothers and sisters, in 34 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen people endure all kinds of things. And I've asked them, how are you able to hold up under this? Because God gives me grace. And some of them have done a much better job at handling the things than I have. Some of them have been with Christ a lot longer than me. But this is the God, Theos, the God of the universe who created everything. And I love what D. Edmund Hebert writes here. It's worth noting. Of all grace characterizes him as the source and giver of all grace. That's true. All the undeserved favor bestowed upon us, that's me and you, in our unworthiness, none of us are worthy of God's grace. None of us. All of us fall short of the glory of God, Paul writes in Romans 3.23. In our unworthiness, all grace may also point to the great variety of his graces for help in every need and every occasion. So when we get in these difficult times, we say, God, I need your grace here. I need your grace here. This, this of all grace, pas, is the word all there, which refers to each and every situation that comes into your life. So rather than complain about the situation, you simply say this. You are the God of all grace. I need grace right now to help me deal with the situation. And I realize that's easier said than done. <laughs> I don't mind admitting this. I'm scared to death of dentists. Um, and I remember one time, the dentist that I'm with now, I had what was called a hot tooth. Normally, and Ruth knows this, she can verify it. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, Ruth can verify this. Um, I like sedation. I like sedation. And my dentist uh, last year, I had a hot tooth where I had a, a, an infected root canal. And he said, we have to do this now. And he says, I can't give you sedation for this. I was in the chair like this. I was shaking because I had one bad experience with a root canal. And the dentist, I felt everything the dentist was doing until the root was pulled out. 
And the dentist goes, I can't give you any more Novocaine for this. And so I decided that day that I would change dentist. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and I did. There are times, seriously, literally, that day that my current dentist, I really like him. He's a Korean dentist, excellent. I was shaking like this, and the whole time I was praying, Lord, don't let me feel this. Now, Ruth has taken me when I've been, you know, on my, I like the medic, I like the sleep meds. Those are awesome, folks. <laughs> Except when Ruth has to call Audrey and say, can I take him to Burger King because he's wanting a Whopper right after, right after I've had a root canal. I like the Novocaine. I'll admit it. I like the sleep meds. I love it. And sometimes we need the sleep meds when we're going through a hard time. And God gives that sleep meds through his grace. Dr. Windsor always told me, preach confessionally. God can't judge you for that one. But, yeah, so if you're scared of dentist, I get it. Trust me. I totally get it. But D. Edmund Hybert's right here. All grace may point to a great variety. All, pas, that's the word. His grace and help in every need and occasion. So rather than the knee-jerk reaction, how am I going to do this? Put yourself under the mighty hand of God, 7, verse 7, and cast all of your anxieties on him because he is the God of all grace and will give you sustaining grace amidst the storm. And that's a, that's a theological change. That's a different perspective on how we deal with suffering. Of course, I just love that. Brothers and sisters, we have to, get a, we have to do a better job at trusting God. We just have to. I'm not here to say your life's going to be fine. Little birds are going to fly around you all the time and things are going to be happy. That's not the case. Somebody once told me confidently, Christ is your crutch. I said, you're absolutely right. There's times I can't walk and he walks with me and supports me. You're absolutely right. I'm guilty. And all of us don't do it correctly all the time, but I want you to understand that you have eternal hope. Now, he calls us to his eternal glory. Uh, the word called means that we have been established and that our ultimate victory, our ultimate victory is to be with God forever eternally. It's an upward calling, Paul writes the upward high calling of God. That someday we will be, he calls us. That's our calling. I love Paul's theology. Already not yet. You're kind of straddling. There was a guy that wrote a book, Between Two Worlds. John Stott. It's a preaching book. And, and the, the, the pastor has to preach between two worlds. And that's, that's where we're at. Here, we suffer. 
Not always. And I don't want you to think you walk, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to me this week? No, I don't want you to do that. What I want you to do is to realize that when circumstances and situations get bad in your life, take a moment, breathe, and say, God, please, if you want me to go through this, I will. But would you please give me your sustaining grace so that I can make it through it? I prayed for 32 minutes while the dentist did that emergency root canal on me. Seriously. God, please don't let me. I wasn't saying this out loud because he's got his thing in there. But I was in my head going, God, please don't let me feel it. Because I know the, the needling pain that is associated with trying to get a root canal out or trying to get the root out. And I was like this, and in the, in the, I really was. And the dentist said, just a minute, just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. We'll have this done. And I actually didn't feel anything because he gave me the, the Novocaine. But I was scared to death of feeling that pain. So the Novocaine for us is, God, give us grace. I'm telling you, over my years, I have seen people go through really bad things. And one of the key things that keeps coming up as I talk with them is that God gave me the grace to get through it. When suffering comes, remember you have an eternal hope and you turn to God and you ask him to give you sustaining grace grace, and you tell Satan, I will not listen to your lies. Okay? We, 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 we're, we're good there. Okay. And this leads to something else. We will be victorious. We win. By the way, Tolono, the football team, going to the state playoffs. I don't know if the other team, are they, uh, I know they beat the Catholics. It was a Catholic school that they beat. Nothing personal against Catholics. I'm not, not saying that. Is, is the school that they're playing against a private or public? Huh? It's public? It's, it's public. We're, we're going to win. Because, you know, I'm picking up meds for Audrey over at Meyer, and I'm following it on Max Preps. And I'm seeing the score, and I'm like, ugh. It's 21-14 in the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden, Tolono's up 28-21, and I was like, yes, and everybody's looking at me, and I'm like, okay. We're going to be victorious. We win. Think about the victory. The victory's ours. We have to wait for it. It's delayed. But any football team that plays a game, when they get down in the score like Tolono was, by the way, Tolono shut them out in the second half. The team gets together and they say, you know what, we're going to win this game. Bart Starr, that, that famous 1969 Ice Bowl game. Bart Starr told his team, by the way, the Green Bay Packers, I think we have one fan here from Green Bay, <laughs> maybe two, I don't know. He marched them down the field. I was 10 years old watching that game on TV and you know, it was so darn cold that day, it was like 35 below zero. Don, I think it was Don Meredith, before the game, he had his hands out like this, and he says, Dallas Cowboys. He says, easy money. He woke up that morning, got a phone call from the hotel and uh, register there, 
the office said, good morning, it's 35 degrees below zero. The Dallas Cowboys ran their routes with their hands in their pockets. Green Bay, on the other hand, used to playing in cold weather. Bart Starr drove them down, they scored, and they beat the Dallas Cowboys. And to that I say, yes! <laughs> I liked Bart Starr when I was a kid. Now listen to this. God's action on our behalf, listen to this. The God of all grace will himself, not the next door neighbor, not the pastor, not the deacons, not your best friend in church, God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is stuff God will do. And again, if you're coming under verse, uh, in the verses before this, coming under the mighty hand of God, you can cast all of your anxieties, and then God rains down grace. You see the image. God rains down grace to give you the grace you need until we cross the finish line. That's the image. And at the same time, we have to remove pride from ourselves. We have to walk in humility, and pastors have to serve the church of God. But he himself will restore Four powerful images here. Four very powerful images. Number one is the word restore, to make something fully qualified. Katarizo, to make something fully qualified. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says this, through their suffering, God will produce a fully restored character. give you an example one of the things that I tell new believers when they trust in Christ and I had to learn this too one of the first things that Satan does is comes along and says to you you're not really saved happens every time because you're making mistakes you're doing things wrong well you're a baby you're a baby Christian but if that conversion was genuine then you are saved. God is the one. Listen to me. Yes, there's, there's effort on our part to, to grow and to trust him, but ultimately God is the one that made, makes you qualified for the kingdom of God, and that was settled at the cross. Jesus Christ took our sin. He died for it, paid for it, so it can be done. That's why you're qualified. has nothing to do with your education. has nothing to do with your social setting. It has nothing to do with your economic payments or whatever. It has to do with God qualifying you. Don't ever let Satan tell you that you are not qualified for the kingdom of God because you are, and God is in the process of doing that. God's going to do this. This is God's deal. And yes, we do our part as we trust him. We come under his mighty hand of grace. And whenever there's problems come up, we throw it up and we let God have it. And he rains down grace. I love this image. The second word here is the word confirm, steno. God will strengthen those who suffer. So the big issue is, what does God strengthen? 
steno, the word confirm, means God will strengthen those who suffer. And there again, I think it relates back to the grace, the God of all grace, in those difficult periods of our lives, he will strengthen. The same word is used in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2. There it was Paul writing, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, and spreading the gospel to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Satan wants to attack your faith. If he can weaken your faith, he can weaken your ability to do God's work in this world. Steno, the exact same word used there. The third word, which is akin to it, is sterizo. And that's the word strengthen. To cause someone to... <laughs> yeah. I, I want you to understand, as we trust God, God's ability to work in our lives is much greater. As we lack faith in God, God still works in our lives. But listen to this. To cause someone to become stronger in the sense of an unchanging attitude, literally reading from the Greek translation, to cause someone to become stronger in the sense of unchanging attitude or belief. So when difficulties come, listen to this, please. When, when difficulties come, it is in the midst of those difficulties that God begins to grow our faith. I love this. <laughs> uh, this is a, these are wonderful people here, these, these, these drill sergeants. Um, you would not believe the yelling. I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I relived my basic training days. I would like them, you know they have all these reality shows. Have you seen all these reality shows? I don't watch any of them, but I know they're there. Um, uh, uh, I would like them to do a reality show of return to basic. I would go back in a minute. I mean, if older guy goes back to basic, gets yelled at, I'd love it. Want more of it. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I want more of it. We love it. We love it. We want more of it. That's what we used to have to tell drill, drill sergeants, and they just come in and get you more. You see, you see this guy's face? I was back at my house. <laughs> I mean, he goes, that, that, that right there is awesome. I just, I, that caught my image this week, and I said, that's just awesome. The drill sergeant's encouraging him. Uh, the drill sergeant is encouraging him. But I'll tell you this. I will tell you this. When I was in basic training, I hated Tuesdays because they'd get us up at 3.30 in the morning and we had to stand in line. This is how it went. Our, our sheets were around our neck and we, we'd stand. And it was all discipline all the time. When we first started and I had to go back and think about all these, but we ran PT, seemed like all day long. And there were times, and I was, I was 19, I had just turned 19. 
And by the time basic training was over, I would laugh at a two-mile run. Because through the difficulty and through the hardship, those drill sergeants made us stronger. And yeah, the yelling. Ugh. By the way, Dennis Johnson's sons went to airborne school. He's in air, airborne school now, and Dennis said he's in his third week of basic training, and I laughed. <laughs> I go, good for him. He's probably, man, you guys really yell a lot. Here's, 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 here's the point. That when difficulties come, not only is our faith being tested, but God is in the process of making us stronger so that when the next wave of attacks come or the next wave of trials come, we have something to stand on. When we don't have resistance, and by the way, did you notice here, you are to resist the devil. You're not to let him get a foothold. You're not to let him just take over and run your life. You are to resist him. That takes effort. Satan, I will not allow you to do this in my life. Dads, go home and say, Satan, you are not welcome in my house. I will fight you for my family. And this image here of the drill sergeant encouraging him to finish the course is a really good one. Difficulties will make you stronger. Please don't let them kill you. Spiritually. And I've said, I've seen a lot. I visited people that said they'll never go back to church again because God let them down. And that's sad. The last word is the word established. To provide a solid foundation that should be for belief, not believe. When we see God act on our behalf and deliver us from suffering, the foundation of our belief only grows stronger. Just by a show of hands, in this room, I guess, how many of you have seen your faith grow because of God's deliverance. Wow. The Emilio, the Emilio, to provide a solid foundation for belief. Thomas Schreiner writes this, the exhortations are the very means by which God's promises are secured. And indeed, God in his grace grants believers the strength to carry out the exhortations. Stay the course. Don't quit. In those moments in the trenches, you call on the grace of God to sustain you.
Don't grumble against God. Just say, God, you see where I'm at right now. I really need some help. I need your grace. And God will show up. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. I just want to encourage you today. Stay, stay the course. Don't quit. Please. If you're struggling with something and you need me to pray, I'll pray with you. But don't quit. God has not abandoned you. He is our general and he cares for us. And by the way, not only is, will it be victorious and we go to the glory beyond and see Christ, but God's, God is supreme. I love how Peter closes this out. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And God's people said, Amen. But I can't let you go with just an amen. I got another 20 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dominion. Kratos. Kratos. To have power or control. To him who has power and control. Listen to that. I, I know we just read it to him be to him be the dominion forever and ever. If you, read it, if you read it this way, to him be the ultimate control. That means Satan is not in control. God is in control. He sees where you are today. He knows your situation. And God has not abandoned you. Please knock that down or nail it down in your heart. God has been doing this for thousands of years for the people of God. Throughout the Bible, we see the power of God. The Exodus, when the Israelites were up against the Red Sea, Pharaoh pursuing because he couldn't let it go. Moses held up his staff and God parted the Red Sea and the people of Israel crossed on dry ground. And then after every Israelite had crossed, God closed the sea and the Egyptians were wiped out. That's the power of God. I want you to get these images. Another one of my favorite images, I, I don't even know if you know this. Maybe some of you do. One of my other favorite images, I wish they'd make a movie about it because they're so good with high definition and all this special effects and stuff. I wish they'd do this. This comes from Joshua where God actually threw stones from heaven at the enemies of God. Can you imagine that? We've got the Israelites. What's that? Oh, it's a boulder. Boom. And we're going to run. God was throwing stones from heaven. And look at this. There were more who died. This is God now. This is God, same God. There's not a different God from the Old Testament to now. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed by the sword. Let God fight your battles. Let God be the one who steps up and says, you know what, the God who threw stones from heaven can also fight my battles for me. You do not have to do that on your own. Is this encouraging? I want it to be encouraging. Don't let Satan think he has power. He has power, but God has the ultimate power. 
I love that verse. I can just, can, can you imagine a high definition movie and special effects? All these big stones coming down. It's like God was saying, okay, I'm going to bowl and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock out some of these guys. God is a powerful God. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. Somebody said, I never repeat things. Don't ever forget it. God is powerful. And whatever situation you have in your life, I believe God is greater than your situation. Otherwise, why are you here? Why do you come to church? Because you believe God is greater than any situation. To him be dominion forever and ever. What about when Jesus healed the blind, raised the dead, caused the lame to walk, calmed the storm, calmed the sea? Who is this man that even the seas obey? Well, I can tell you who it is. It's God, the powerful one, Christ. What about the resurrection? Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. There is no victory. Who, who did that? God raised, Paul said, God raised Jesus from the dead. I'm just going to tell you something. You're going to win. Not like in a Joel Osteen sense you're going to win. But you are more than conquerors in Christ. 